0: Welcome to Season 2 of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. This season is dedicated to interviews with mayoral and city council candidates running for the city of Powell River within the Cothed region during the 2022 municipal election. Here's your host, Aaron Reed. Welcome
1: to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. Joining me on this episode is Bronwyn Gisborne. Bronwyn is running for the position of City Councillor in the October 15th, 2022 municipal election. Here is Bronwyn's submission. Bronwyn graduated from Brooks in 2001, attended Camosun College and then UVic, became a full time yoga instructor for several years, and then came home to marry and have two children. She is now one of only six Gisborns who live in the region, all under one roof. She is employed through CSIL, Choice in Supports, for independent living. Please join me in welcoming Bronwyn Gisborne. Welcome Bronwyn Gisborne to the podcast. Thanks Erin. Thanks for coming. So this is our first time actually meeting I think right? Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, talked to Mark a few times but I bet I'm
0: meeting you. I bet you've talked to Mark a few <laughs> times. He's talked to almost everybody a few times. Right. He gets around. So it's good to see you out and about and
1: see your face and thank you all of that so maybe we could start with you just telling me a little bit about yourself like where were you born where'd you grow up that kind of thing
0: sounds good i was born in white rock at home that was a home birth really Oh yeah hey let's talk about that for a second (laughs) no doubt that's actually a big deal for me because i now have two kids and i got to have my my first child by midwife that's what my mom did down in white rock and back in 83 when it wasn't actually legal oh wow right um it was it was quite recently i think it was the 90s or even 2000s like the whole midwifery actually getting recognized and us as moms having access to midwifery is still very new and it's still very threatened like i had my first kid by midwifery and then my second i just had him he's a year and two months old so at like the second year of covid so the midwives um ended up doing a ton of home births as you can imagine in that first year of yeah. covid when people didn't want to go into the hospitals and like everybody else in the healthcare system they just had no support there was already an insane burnout rate for midwives and i was reading some articles about it there was something insane like 80 to 90 percent burnout rate they were just quitting one after the other so by the time I had my kid I started with one midwife who was in town they closed down and then I went to the next one and then she went on stress leave too and I ended up going through my pregnancy with my family physician who they were doing prenatal care so it was awesome but it was a huge eye-opener to as a mom who already got to have that support with her first to not have that support there with the second one was mm. like, wow! Like, I never, I never would have got that perspective unless I hadn't had access. And we just literally had no access here in town. At some, at one point, my, uh, I was even recommended to, you know, look into going out of town to give birth, just because they were so short-staffed here, and the maternity wards are still just like every other part of our healthcare system, feeling really strained and overloaded so shout out to all the midwives and the moms who are making their way through trying to support their families while they themselves sometimes not getting adequate support interesting and you don't hear about it no because it's it's something so personal and you only know when when you're pregnant or you're with your partner who's pregnant and then even then, midwifery is so kind of shrouded by this mystery that people think, oh, well, what do midwives do? They don't right. do anything. Yes, they don't do <laughs> to you what the medical system does to you. That's, that's the point of it, actually. It's support, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's so, it's so much more than just a medical system that's trying to get down their list and check through the boxes. And not to, not to smash the medical... F- system at all because I was so impressed also just by how thorough and how much support there is but what midwifery provides is something so much more profound and so supportive of the entire family Mm. not just the pregnancy that that's what the medical system has to focus on is of the pregnancy whereas midwifery is much more about the woman the mother and the whole family all having adequate support
1: So, did you grow up in White Rock? No. White
0: Rock? I was born there, and then I can't remember, I was little, so my parents moved around a few times. My mom's family moved to Crescent Beach when she was like in her early teens, and she's one of 11 kids. And so, a whole bunch of her brothers still live down there. Um, She has one sister who lives on Texada, actually. And a couple of them live in Victoria, but most of the family kind of was down there. So we kind of moved around when I was little, moved around Victoria. And then because her sister was up here, she had been to Powell River and ended up coming up here and just buying a house because it was the only place they could afford to buy something like Mm. so many other people in the 80s, 90s. It was 91 for us. Okay. And, um... I remember moving to town and there were the fireworks that night and we were in our little uh, living room with the windows overlooking Westview and the really disgusting green carpet that was so comfy when you were a kid. And there was fireworks.
1: (laughs) It was so exciting. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So that must have been Seafair.
0: It must so. have been a seafarer, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know now, but it must have been Seafair that yeah. we just happened to move Seafair, Oh, awesome. <laughs> I felt pretty special.
1: No doubt. So that was the 90s that you moved here then? 91.
0: Okay. How old were you? Eight. So I started grade three. Okay. The So that was summer. And I started in September in grade three in the cadre program because my mom had moved with her family here. They were actually from Manitoba, before that from Belgium. And so oh. her first language was Flemish, second language, French. So I had access to the French program here. Oh, cool. When there still wasn't a Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Wow. What kind of work or jobs have you done
0: mm-hmm. in your time? Well, the, all the interesting ones are I moved away like so many other people after graduating high school, and I went to Victoria to attend college, university, and I actually became a yoga instructor, and I did that almost full time for about a decade. Really? Yeah. That was the big chunk that was really transformative and interesting in my life. Was I started when I was 25, and right up until the time when I had my first kid at 35. Okay. And I, my transition up to Pell River was a, a, about when I was 30, I think. I was starting to kind of inch my way back here. I have also since then. Because of my living situation, my husband Mark's father, Stan Gisborne, is a quadriplegic and has been so since 2017. So I'm not going to be able to do all the math here, but he, he requires full-time care. And so the family, uh, instead of putting him into a care facility, renovated the house so that there was space to bring him back home. And uh, since that time have been hiring home care workers to come and assist at the house. And Mark is his primary caregiver and I am as well.
1: Wow, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, so I've got two kids under the age of four, and we live with uh, him. I was just doing that before coming here, was getting him out of bed, dealing with his fluids and medications and getting dressed and all that. Wow. After getting the baby to sleep.
1: That must have been a crazy transition to, like, have you had any training in that in that <laughs> field beforehand?
0: No, not in caregiving like that. Uh, that's the, the really funny part about it is there's so much that we can Let me say this. When Stan was brought back home by his family, there was this real expectation that you just take him from the hospital and there you go. But there was little support in between the two. And part of that isn't just the medical system not being willing to do that. It's just that his case is very severe and very unique. And most people in our situation, in the the family situation, would have just put somebody into care. Mm. But we knew that he wasn't, there wasn't any way or any place where he could get adequate care. So we took them on, but then we didn't get any training either. Oh, wow. So there was a real learning curve at the beginning, um, having having to learn what the healthcare care system was willing to provide when they sent people to the home who were working for Vancouver Coastal Health. What were they actually able to do and allowed to do legally and and us having to fill in the rest of it? Mark was the one who... In the hospital, in the rehab facility, he already knew what was going on and he was working alongside with the nurses and the nurses who were really cool taught him a lot of stuff. Like a lot of how to do these different procedures and Mark just became like Stan's number one advocate. And yeah, that's that's why Stan is still alive is because he had his family there to support him. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have made it otherwise. Wow.
1: Yeah, we don't think about that so often, about those gaps that are there, and that's where everybody wants to be when they're not well, is to be at home, not in not in a care home and that kind of thing. So to have families step up like that, that's a big thing.
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, I'm going to slip something in here. Yeah. You know, the the biggest concern for me and why I'm running for office is housing. I'm living in a multi-generational household that had flexibility enough to whip together and renovation and get somebody home. And the only reason we were able to do that is because we could adapt. The house was a living thing that could adapt and grow to accommodate three generations from one, Mm. right? Like that happened quite quickly. And what we're seeing in all of our... Facets of society where there's pressure mounting on workers in the healthcare system or just workers in general, it's fa- it's, it comes down to families. Like, how are families able to support one another and do for each other what needs to be done so that they're just not constantly having to ask for help somewhere else? I mean, childcare is another one. We're in severe lack of childcare. Yeah. Well, wh- how did other societies around the world deal with that problem? multi-generational living you live with your family so grandma can stay at home with the kids while mom and dad are outside working right like that's just natural that's just common sense and in North America we've we've gone through this period of having such wealth that everybody could spread out and get their own spaces and now that that wealth is gone we're we're starting to kind of crumble and feel the pressure of not having those support networks there anymore yeah you too (laughs) She's like, me too over here.
1: (laughs) You have a duck cheering squad back there. I like it. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) I like it. So I live on a farm. <laughs> I like it. It's like being at home. So speaking to that, uh, what neighborhood do you live in?
0: I live in Paradise Valley. Okay. I grew up in Westview and I'm just outside of the municipality right now and that's one thing that I I've really been excited to talk to people about. There was one person who approached me at the All Candidates meeting who who snuck up to me and he knew my father-in-law because uh, he worked like years ago for both the city and the regional district. He's like, why are you running? Because he's been watching Mark too. You don't even live in this city. Why are you running? I went, yeah, that's the question. Let's talk about government structures in this community and what's going on. Because the thing that I've learned since my education is quite recent, uh, just in the past uh, seven years, I guess, of being with this family, from Jan Gisborne, Stan Gisborne to Mark Gisborne, all being involved in politics and government at different levels. Yeah. My learning curve around government in this community has been, oh, what do you mean the city is all those things? It's Westview, Townsite, Cranberry, and Wildwood? Really? I didn't know that. Okay, well, what does the regional district do? <laughs> mm. What is the regional district? What? What do you mean they don't really do anything? What, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> so I've had this explained to me multiple, multiple times. And I think the part that really finally hit home for me and made me understand what was going on was when I realized the history of this town. So we created a municipality in 1955 when we had the mill. And they went... I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to imagine I was there. They we went, We want to share services between these four communities because we have this mill. We have great wealth generating. Let's band together and start sharing. And so they did that. They incorporated and then it expanded and bada bing, bada boom, municipality. Ten years later, the province of British Columbia created regional districts. Really? With the purpose of sharing services. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so since the moment I realized that, I went, okay. So we have two regional districts, is what you're telling me. Okay. So that worked for some time and it actually worked to our benefit because the more I've learned about history of regional districts in the province, the more I've seen that it was quite new. It is still quite new. And they've been changing and adding things and kind of tweaking the problems. One of the bigger problems they had, I think it was around up until the 80s when they made the change. So 65 to somewhere in the 80s, let's say a couple decades, was that the planning structures, and that's primarily why they bring in these organizations, uh, this incorporated entity was to provide some community planning. So the planning structure was shared in such a way that the municipalities had a say in how the rural areas were being planned and being developed into. And you can see that in like parts of the lower mainland where you've just got sprawl and development everywhere. And there was no real containment of it and there was no long-term plan. It was just hey, that's undeveloped. That's free for the taking. And so the province at some point in the 80s, don't remember the year quite changed that facet, just dropped it entirely and made it separate so that the electoral areas in regional (laughs) districts, the small areas, uh, were doing some of their own planning, just kept municipalities out of it so that it wasn't encouraging the sprawl and massive development from rolling out into other areas. In our region, and why I'm explaining this is we had a buffer (laughs) because we had the municipality that already had a big bought line around it and said we're sharing our services and legend has it that when the province came in the bureaucrats came in to set up the regional district the locals were not pleased (laughs) and and these were the people who were on the outside right so and everybody now knows that feeling in pal river the outside rural and the inside the municipality right there's this real divide there and it's structural and it's been there for a long time now the most concerning thing for myself, growing up in this municipality and not knowing any of this, I still have a real loyalty to the whole community and I'm I'm watching my husband go through all this stuff at the regional district and I'm looking at it and I'm going, why? Okay, I get why the community doesn't understand that they're part of the regional district because A vast majority, and by no fault of their own, just don't realize. They say, I'm in the municipality. No, I don't live in the regional district. Or the phrase is, you either live in the municipality or the regional district. And again, no fault of their own. The structure is very different from everywhere else in the province. But the problem, the problems are many. So for one Equity and taxation, and everybody in the city already understands that when they've been asking for decades for the rural people to participate more, and now they are. So now we're getting more funding in for different projects in the city, like the complexes paid into by the electoral area residents, the museum, uh, library service. So there's a lot more going back and forth. But in the other direction one of the things that was transferred, one of the services that was transferred to regional districts, and I believe was in the 90s, is a Solid Waste Management Service. And that's a big one for us to be aware of because we're currently dealing with that. Mm-hmm. It's being run by the the regional district. And the city is paying because they have more than 67% of the population here. They get two representatives at the regional district. And that's it. So when you've got council that gets all the attention, all the podcast interviews and all the, you know, hype and build up for the mayor around this position in Powell River, city of Powell River. But you have this, what, like $12 million project that's going through and we're deaf to it because it's at the regional district level. And you've only got two representatives out of your seven that are elected to council who are over there. So it made sense back in the day when we didn't have all of these costs and downloading. You're hearing that, I'm sure, from a lot of people in government, downloading from the province. It's constant, and it's creating more and more costs at both levels. The municipal residents, just as the biggest thing I think people should be aware of, as a municipal resident, you're paying 50%. The municipality pays 50% of the administrative cost at the regional district level. So Hmm. back in the day, they had two people running the show because they did very little. Now they are doing... Maybe a little bit more than very little. Let's say they're doing uh, substantially more. But there's an enormous amount of staff through that facility and a huge cost that's amounting. That's like, I think it's tripled in the past decade. So this is a time because our mill has finally closed and that tax revenue. I am not somebody who's in support of saying, let's replace that. That to me is terrifying that we would put all our eggs in uh, one basket and not... Be secure for the next generations of what we're going to do in this community to look after ourselves and, and keep being alive here. That dependency that w- existed uh, by the municipality on that money that was coming from the mill is gone. And I think this conversation between both levels of government has been, it's been happening behind closed doors. I've heard it said by other people, let's just make one municipality. What are we doing here? Why do we have two governments in this town? Why don't we just be one? Why don't we just work together? Well, up until now, we haven't been forced to. And I feel now that it's being forced both from the provincial level and at the local level because of the loss of that mill hmm. and the impending loss of that taxation from the mill. We need to start thinking about how do we, as a community, transform. And the other part that's happening simultaneously is Klamen. How do we bring them in as an equal party? Well. Nobody's an equal party if you have one municipality that has a weighted vote. They have seven votes out of 13 on financial matters at the regional district. There's there's no equals. There's just one municipality. If we, if we can restructure this community in the long term, I mean, I'm just going on about ideas, right, that people have already been talking about. But there's so many pressures now coming on and so many opportunities with... Uh, the province giving us more responsibilities, the mill closure and CLOM and wanting to be part of these conversations. It's like, before, before we discuss anything else, let's talk about how we're going to talk about these issues and the structures that we're using to address, not fix, because there's a lot that doesn't need fixing. There's a lot that just needs to be communicated and addressed. And I think, I think we're actually in an amazing position because we had that weird structure of government that's limit us from really growing and expanding and doing the sprawl that has happened everywhere else, we're so far behind. We're in first place. <laughs> and now we just, we just got to come together and realize, you know what? It's none of the people. You, you know what this town is like. They're talking about all those big names of who's, who's in bed with who and who's got all the control and who's giving who the favors. Well, Why? It's because the systems are set up like that. Like, instead of pointing fingers at your neighbor and dividing the community, let's actually sit down and talk about, well, why does so-and-so have the advantage? And, and a big part of why, even in this community, and because it happens everywhere that there's there's people rubbing elbows and scratching backs. But in this community, it's even just more in your face. It's because of that structure. They can. Mm-hmm. The, the municipality is running everything. So it's like you're one club and you're... And you're, you've got all the cards. Interesting. So how, you know, you can't get mad. You can't get angry. And that, that's really what happened to me over the past four years was going through the whole emotional spectrum of what the hell? And then, oh, uh, just getting so sad for this community and angry for this community and excited for this community. And then I finally just got to the point where I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> we're okay. It's like it's like people, it's just like the human condition of feeling so inadequate and self-centered in, in a way that's so self-deprecating and, oh, what are we going to do? It's, we got everything. There's just this thing that we've put around our necks that we're so attached to. It's so comfortable. Yeah. We know it so well. Just take it off. And we're going to see this community once it starts to communicate and come together. I think yeah I'm just so excited for the next generations in this community because we are so far behind we're in first place
1: (laughs) I haven't heard that one for a while (laughs) different topic okay good good what are your favorite places to spend time in the city
0: (laughs) in bed I have two kids (laughs) (laughs) like I just got a new bed I just got a king size because my kids are huge and I co-sleep because I breastfeed so with my second kid he's even bigger than the first one (laughs) I was like, I have to get a bigger bed. I and my husband sleeps on a couch because he's the nighttime shift with his dad, so he uh. sleeps next to his dad so he can respond to him. And I sleep with the kids so I can respond to the kids. So nobody gets any sleep. <laughs> so I at least need a comfortable bed so I can imagine the sleep that I will get. <laughs> home, home is home. my favorite place. Yeah, and 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 I'm I live on a beautiful property. Uh, we raise pigs and I have a, a dog and what more do you need
1: you guys have your hands full we have our hands full but
0: we're doing it we're seeing i mean i i'm i'm so a mark fan obviously (laughs) but i well part of why i'm so a fan is that he's just so ahead like he's just like a planner i call it his planning goblin he's just like sorting through data and getting things done and organized and what do we need to do next and it's like yeah he's he's getting the property and us all organized so that we can do this, and it was a big adjustment. Like I, you questioned that. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you go from being two retired people, all of a sudden to that relationship to just completely disappearing? One of you having a serious, life-threatening uh, problem, and then, and then having younger people come in, and then kids added into the mix, like. Mm-hmm in such a short period of time it's been a lot and the only reason we've been able to just keep adapting and keep moving forward is because because of that the, that family they're the kinds of people who are like okay next challenge let's let's go wow let's get ready for the next thing wow
1: actually you kind of answered this i guess cuz i was going to ask you what made you decide to run yeah i for did city council yeah
0: it was that it was that just kind of build up of everything everything happening and i've been thinking about it for some time because i'm I grew up in town. I was like, oh, I'm not going to get involved too much with what you're doing out here. Like, I see what you're doing. But but this is about the whole community, right? Like, we need to, we need to come together. But Mark, Mark was raised, of course, by Jan and Stan, Stan being on the regional district for like 30 years and his mom and i don't know how many people realize this she was a customs officer for 25 years wow. she's the real ace in the pocket here that people don't realize like if you're going to learn about government and how government works go talk to jan mm. and she's an absolutely incredible woman she's never on here you might need a longer podcast though <laughs> the other the other reason cuz it's mul- it's multi reasons right you sort of think about running for council and other things happen in your life and you go no and then other things happen and you start looking around and going man i got to get in there i got to contribute to this community housing mm. housing like i said i've already talked about it because it is such a huge part of why I'm in the community? Why I'm in the position that I am? Why I've had access to having a roof over my head, a place to have kids, a place to raise pigs and have a dog? There's so many people who are blocked from having that. This is this is the issue: is housing. You want to talk about childcare? You want to talk about opioid crisis, crime in the city? You want to talk about all the pressures, all the labor shortage, everything? Housing, and this is this is where I've just been. So <laughs> absorbed by politics and learning about government is this housing issue. So, and I don't even know where to begin, but that, that for me is the, was really where I started to get excited about governance at the local level, because local governments are the ones who oversee our land use planning, our development approval processes. This is where it's going to happen, people. This is, this is where the change happens. It's not coming down. We are an administrative extension of the province. So if we don't get our shit together collectively and solve these problems, we get downloaded more. Right. They just say, now you do this and you fix your problems. Well, that didn't work. Okay, now you do this and you fix your problems. All right? But we're getting this kind of one-size-fits-all solution that of course isn't going to ha- work for a region like Powell River. We are unique out here. Right. We need to have the community create the solutions housing is a basic need i think it was mark who, who went and was talking to some of the ministers about this and and i love the way he presented the idea of okay you take 10 people and you drop them off in the middle of the woods what's the first thing they're going to do they're going to create shelter and i know we want to prioritize all our needs and go well we need food and we need clothes and da 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 we need to put a roof overhead. That's the first thing you're going to do. Because if you don't have somewhere safe just to put your body, where are you going to put that food? Where are you going to put that clothing so it stays dry? Like number one is shelter. This is something that you could talk, I could talk for hours about and it just bleeds into everything else. But to start with housing at the local level is something that has been Given to us from previous generations. So if you look into the history of zoning, it's got a very dark history across North America. It, one of its first usages, usages was to separate and segregate. And it was used because we, the courts had ruled in the United States that, no, you can't write into your bylaws that you can't sell your property to a black person. Yeah. And right, right, right there, we start to feel like this is where we're going. This is where we need to go. These are the conversations we need to start having. The way that they got around it was they looked at how people were living and that the black people that they were trying to, write out of being able to get into these predominantly white neighborhoods, were living in poorer, more dense neighborhoods. And that the white people were predominantly living in this kind of suburbia-like setting, these independent homes. So all they had to do really was zone them as separate, Mm -hmm. and then through that zoning, take out everything in between. And that's the missing middle that people are referring to nowadays. And people are just up in arms and they're trying to bring it back in Vancouver that had all this uh, Vancouver special and row housing and all this other kind of diversity, all the, the rooming houses in Shaughnessy. There was a ton of housing available. And you know what we did? We hired the same planner who had been so successful at segregating in the major cities across North America and the United States. His name's Harlan Bartholomew. And if anyone's listening to this podcast, you can just, don't listen to me anymore. Go and look him up and start finding out all the information. It's absolutely fascinating and so eye-opening. They did the exact same thing in Vancouver, what they'd done to all these major cities in the US. Hmm. We're now living in a world where we're seeing so much segregation. And we're all looking at each other going, well, where are the racists? What the hell? Like we need to tackle racism. We need to deal with this. We need to start addressing these issues. The real problem is, is that it's about that self-reflection and looking at how you have been taught to accept the structure of your world around you because the problem is our neighborhoods that we're living in. They're a symptom of that problem, of that system that's segregating still to this day. And that has been the biggest hurdle for anyone in politics nowadays who's trying to diversify and let's, let's make carriage homes accessible, let's make secondary suites accessible, let's try all these other things. I've had it too, that feeling of I love the home I grew up in. I have this like romantic feeling around living in a little house with my family on a street with other little houses in a big backyard. But that was the only thing that was available. I've been having all these other thoughts around running for office and having all these questions about reconciliation brought into the mix. This is what, this is what the big gift is of reconciliation, is that it's not, a, it's not a goal out there. It's an opportunity to really stop and start exploring your own feelings and the things that you are so attached for and, and having to grieve that loss. Because when you start to open your eyes and see the real structural problems... Again, it's not the people. People want to help. People want to make their communities better and stronger. Nobody wants to come in and destroy the place or make it so off balance that people can't live here and your kids can't live here. Nobody's trying to do that. People are trying to fix the problem. But the problem is the system isn't broken. We're trying to fix it, fix it. Let's add this. Let's let's try to get this development through faster. How about we bring in this low-cost housing or affordable housing is what they call it. The system isn't broken, that's why we can't fix it. It was designed to segregate. It was designed to do exactly what it's doing, using economics. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, you've, we're seeing all these small di- businesses going under, people who just can't get into housing at all. They can't even get up that first rung of the ladder. Ta-da, it worked, it right. works. And it works so effectively that we're trying to fix it and it's just not, it's not working. Like we're trying, people are trying, they're throwing all sorts of solutions at it. So at the local level, at government, it's, this was a big one for myself to learn about that dark history of zoning all across North America and then start to look at different options of how do they do it in Japan? How do they do it across Europe? And, and none of it's like, oh, that, that's what we should do. It's more, oh, there's other ways of doing things. Like we can let go of feeling so protective around our community as though the lines we've drawn around all our properties are our community. That's not community. Community are your volunteer organizations, your small businesses, your teachers, your your stay-at-home looking after the kids. Is it's the people that make the community, not the structure. And this point in history, we need to get communities' involvement in creating the way forward. Nice. Is that,
1: so that's why you're. i
0: I know. And that's why you know you get two minutes here and there. And how do you how do you explain to somebody? Is it go go look up Harlan Bartholomew and the missing middle, and and fall fall down that rabbit hole? <laughs> it's a quite a ride. And once you're there, you can't unsee it. You start looking around at everything going oh my gosh, what have we done? What have we done? Yeah. It, it's it's mind-blowing, right? This is the transition we're going through in history. It's such an exciting time to be alive. There's so much in change and transition. And I know it's about balance, too, because people see this community and all the new people coming to town are going, well, we don't need to change everything. I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I'm not suggesting everything change. In fact, I'm suggesting we're already there. We've got this incredible community, this wealth of people. And now we've got more people from out of town who are going to bring more wealth and more great ideas. I don't mean monetary wealth. I mean energy, right. creativity, innovation. Innovation is the big one. How do you fit innovation into a system that's so rigid that says you can do this, nothing else? Like we can't, we can not, we're not going to get people out of their cars by throwing a bus at it. <laughs> that's a band-aid to a huge problem (laughs) we need innovation but we need to like open things up and loosen things and allow for some accessibility to housing allow for greater flexibility in mixed uses in how we do our zoning and our planning and one of the greatest lines I'm gonna gonna give somebody else credit for this and I've used it uh, because it's so good is that no one neighborhood should have to go through radical change, but no neighborhood should be permitted to not experience any change.
1: Hmm.
0: Is about creating... Broad, broadly applying change so that we can all move forward together but right now what we're seeing is is kind of these knee-jerk reactions to what we need and and then you get this Poo, big pop-up of this tall building over here or, Poo, another development over there and it's really creating that resistance to change into moving forward my belief is that we we need the community really to give the input of what we want and then stop disallowing things that we haven't even thought of that we don't want. We're just, we're so resistant. Well, I don't want that big thing over there. We haven't realized, well, there's a whole bunch of opportunity here for a lot of things in between. That's the missing middle. That's the middle part. It's just off our radar because it's been it's been erased from our, our communities for such a long time, for decades. Hmm. Have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it to you too now. You're going to go have to have a, another conversation with Mark. I'm
1: going to throw another question at you. So our youth aren't able to vote, however they are an important part of our community, and we have little for them to do outside of sports, arts, and outdoor activities. Many teens and young adults aren't into those things. Do you have any ideas of ways we can address the lack of spaces for teens and young adults to hang out and be better supported?
0: Love it. What I was just talking about. Mixed-use, walkable communities. Where do you get to see kids? Where do you see them? Like where are all the children? When I was growing up in this town, actually, I was right over on Michigan Street in Westview. And my dad worked full time and was, you know, sometimes even gone. And and my mom, she even worked part time. She was one of 11 kids and two girls. So she raised two daughters and we could get away with anything. (laughs) She practically (laughs) chased me out of the kitchen several times. Like, go play outside. So I had had quite a bit of freedom to move around outside, even like after dark. It was incredible. I could walk around through trails and around parking lots when it's nobody's there, or I I had a community to exist in. Now, we still had big streets, right? We still have that's part of uh, what's happening with our with our zoning is that we've we created a system that's kind of disjointed where we kind of design the uses in our land use, but then the streets are kind of separate and they're not streets, as I've learned. They're what some people call strodes. Hmm. And it's like a mixed, mix between a road and a street where you've got people, you've got pedestrians, and you've got cars. This is problematic for communities, especially young kids or people with uh, mobility issues. Just think about have you ever had to be in a wheelchair before or move somebody in a wheelchair around the community? It's it's nearly impossible to find ramps to get up onto sidewalks. And then if you do find one, they're incredibly dangerous and always in the wrong spot. And there's a giant drain that you're going to sink one wheel into. Huge distances across crosswalks. And everything disconnected. So if, if, you know, where we are right now, this is gorgeous. But if you live out here and you're a kid and you're coming to the age where mom wants to give you a little bit of Freedom! I could take my two dollar allowance and walk down to the little store down on Michigan Street that used to be there, yeah. and I could go buy oh god all sorts of horrible stuff, <laughs> and 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 then and then jump on my trampoline because I was digested too much sugar, right? But that just that little bit of freedom that I was allowed and walking to other people's houses and we had a, like a little circuit and a little crew of kids who could move around. But we were out in these these neighborhoods that have been so stretched out and spread apart. Kids are really isolated. They're dependent on their parents to drive them to soccer practice and to drive them to band practice. And so even if we come up with all these more solutions of what the kids are going to do, it's like they live here with us. It's not like you can put all the kids over in a facility that isn't school. Like we've already done it, right? We get them in school and you've got a big field and a playground, go run around. But but when they're home, like how are they part of the community when they can't even get out? You have to have a, a car. Yeah. And then even if you got a car, well, I'm sorry, but that's a huge hurdle for a 16-year-old. Most it, kids don't have that kind of access to cash, and then, and then insurance, and then just the responsibility and the pressure around it. That's really not very much fun. Yeah, I think some of the the best some of the best parts of my childhood in this town was actually just the fact that my parents didn't take us out. I didn't go to Disney World or go on big vacations, and I stayed in this community, and. I spent a lot of time exploring just different little parts of just town. We didn't even get up in the backwoods that much because my mom wasn't really into hiking or anything, right? So yeah. I missed out on that. We didn't have a boat. So there was a whole other part of the community I never accessed till years later. But just being able to like be in the town and explore all these different little parts of the town and it's a really beautiful community. Mm-hmm. You, okay, I'm going to talk about something even cooler than that. You ever wonder... Have you ever looked at city planning and kind of wondered, like, how do people naturally come about building these communities? Like, because what we've created, obviously, suburbia is totally unnatural. But what's like a natural footprint for like a community? Like if you just got people together. Have you ever
1: thought about it? No, I haven't, to be honest.
0: If you look at maps of... Old cities like Quebec City or I think Paris is another one, like traditional old, old cities that had like walls built around them or were built around like waterways so that they they still keep their shape today. Like you can see still see them, even if they're built out around them and they've expanded over time, you can still see the origins of it. Yeah. Half hour walking distance. Hmm. It's it's a natural thing for people to come into a community and then Within a certain amount of space and a certain amount of time to get to a place, just have kind of your basic necessities. So you can walk to the butcher shop, sorry, you can walk to get yourself some milk, you can walk to wherever the place of work you are. You can share those kind of immediate necessities in that region. And then around uh, is sort of the space where you'd create things you don't need as frequently. Right. So the space around that will be like the places that are smelly, like the farms and the places that are noisy, that are fixing your equipment. And and if you look at even communities like on the island, the old communities, it's the same thing. You can look at Wildwood, same thing, half hour walking distance. Cranberry, half hour walking distance. Like before these communities that were created before cars were introduced to just like poof, get you out of where you live and over to the shopping centers. Yeah. Before there was that, there was half hour walking distance it's just sort of a natural shape that would crop up and you'd have those mixed uses in there of what you need a barbershop yeah a little coffee shop bookshop we can we can do that we can literally take like everything we have everything we've created and recreate these little areas that are just livable and then your kids can just take their allowance go for a walk i'll meet you over there at such and such time they can live in the world like we don't have to create what what is this idea of creating something for kids? They're people. Like just let them live in the world. The problem is we've created an environment that they ca- that isn't livable. It's it's for cars. We've created environments around cars essentially. Kids aren't cars and kids can't afford cars. So,
1: fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. The new emergency services building. It's kind of a contentious topic in the community about that referendum. Where do you stand on that that particular issue?
0: It is. It, it it's an issue that people don't want to talk about because nobody wants to be the person to say hmm why do we have such expensive service okay I'll say it the the mill right we just lost the mill we have very fast fire response in this community okay this is my understanding of the situation so you know other people can have a view and maybe I'll be corrected and that'd be cool too Uh, but my understanding is that we have full time staff of firefighters in this community, extremely fast response time. and due in part to the, the existence of the mill and that made sense to me and that's why I'm bringing it up now. So the problem isn't that we need a new fire hall. We need a new fire hall, absolutely. But we have a service that is costing the taxpayers so much that we're going, we can't, we can't pay for this service and build the new fire hall, but we need a fire hall. These are, this is an essential service. These are facilities that need to be updated every so every so often. And infrastructure co- capital costs it's necessary. It's going to happen. We're going to do it. The uncomfortable conversation to have is is about the cost of the service. And I know there was also some discussion around possible grant funding from the community works funds. And that one kind of gets me worried because people keep referring to these community works funds and then referring to the federal gas tax it's the same money though Mm. and it's been renamed by the federal government into canadian community development or something like that fund and then it gets passed from the federal government to the union of british columbia municipalities and then they disperse it as the community works funds and i'm just mentioning that because it's like another one of these great ideas we're gonna get more grant funding and we can we can do this with our grant funding, but. The issue is though the services that are a want, the costs that are a want versus a need. So a fire hall is a need. We need that. What are the things we want in this community? And what are the things we need in this community? And this is what I think hopefully the next council that comes in is really going to start to address, really start to talk about and not be scared of ruffling some feathers and having the uncomfortable conversations. It's not it's not about saying, hey, community, you're going to lose your services. No, it's about really talking to the community and going, what do we need? Because we need to address that first. And what are the things we just want? And when we're talking about grant funding, this is why I brought it up, was grant funding is great for those capital costs, like a like a, a fire hall. But a lot of the money that's getting spent, and I just know this because my husband's been dealing with this, and he's watching the same thing happen at the regional district, where this community's going, well, we want these things. It's grant money. Yay, throw more grant money at it. It's free. No, it costs staff time, and grant money still comes from people's taxation. You're still it's still money it's coming from somewhere yeah. but we're we're way more comfortable to just spend it on things that we need because then we as the elected officials aren't raising your taxes yeah but that has a snowball effect then of pushing those other necessities onto the taxpayers so now they're going well we have to raise your taxes so uh, that's where the conversation needs to, to happen with the community is we need to really identify what are the things we really need and what are the things we want and then start making some distinctions some and some choices there. And it's, it's not a one solution f- for that fits all.
1: I will have to say thank you so much for coming and spending the time with me on the podcast today, Bronwyn. And you brought up some interesting points that I haven't given much thought to. So I'm imagining lots of other people haven't. So... That's the idea is
0: more important than anything is that people start to look around them and start to get more information, get all the information you can about this community, about how it's working, because it's not people up there are going to come and save us and create a solution there's no magical industry that's going to fly down with fairies and and rescue this town it's going to come from the community so uh, we need to really start working as a community and the first step is just everyone just like i've done over the past several years just start looking at your community more deeply start having conversations with more people start doing some research start getting involved and things that are passionate about like this isn't boring politics can be so (laughs) tedious and dry and toxic and boring and all these awful things and nobody wants to get involved i I don't think that anymore that's why i'm running for council i think actually that big monster that was in the way it's the way forward like we as a community need to step into our role in our local governments all all of us together that's how governments function they have a dual purpose a dual role one is the administrative extension of the province and the other is they respond to the community if we don't get the community understanding what it is they need and what they want and how we how we go about just talking even about some of these issues and addressing them then we're just going to get dumped on by the province more and more and more
1: and that concludes this episode of Coastal Currents with Erin Reed, featuring guest Bronwyn Gisborne. For more information about Bronwyn, please check out her write ups in Cothet Living and The Power of Her Peak. Until next time, this is Erin Reed.
0: Thank you for listening to Coastal Currents with Erin Reed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. For more interviews, visit coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Erin Reed.